Welcome to Holding the Fort Abroad, the podcast for expats with traveling partners. My name is Rhoda Bangater. I'm a certified coach and the author of the book Holding the Fort Abroad. In this podcast, I interview men and women who live abroad and have traveling partners so that we can all benefit from their wisdom and experience. I also invite relationship experts to apply their expertise to this topic. Today, my guest is Rochelle Foot. Rochelle has built and scaled multiple ventures across technology, education, nonprofit, and service-based industries. She is a sponsorship specialist, an author, a public speaker, and a trainer. Rochelle is a former Marine. She's a current special operations military spouse, an advocate for military employment, preventative mental health care, and reform. She has worked with Congress members on policy reform and has been invited to the White House on behalf of her work and advocacy efforts. Rochelle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to get your perspective and hear from your experience as well. I connected with you after seeing your post on LinkedIn on the 16th of August that went viral about identifying as a military spouse. And you were saying in it that it is, in fact, an acknowledgement of the family life that you lead. And today I'd like to explore with you some of the similarities maybe between a military family and a family where a partner is a humanitarian, for example, mm-hmm. um, specifically potentially with the aspect of calling or vacation, which means physical separation from spouse and children. And so that we can learn from what you see helps military families succeed. So can you tell us a bit more about that post, why you wrote it? <laughs> What's some of the things that you were seeing that prompted you to write it? Well, I'm pretty active in um, social media groups and things like that for my business because I'm a mental health counselor and advocate. And so I kind of like to be where the people are and see where the real struggles are. For some reason, the struggles can really come out in Facebook groups or um, online and social media sites like that. And I continually were seeing um, this kind of barrage on military spouses as if they weren't serving in some aspect. Mm-hmm. And I think when you think of um, somebody who is in a humanitarian effort, that is definitely serving. Mm-hmm. And for somebody to be at home, making sure that that person can go and do their mission in service, whether it's the military or something similar, um, that's a service in itself. That's sacrifice in itself. If I'm um, if I'm being okay saying, Hey, I might not be coming before this mission right now. That's sacrifice. That's service. I'm making sure that they don't have to worry about what's going on here at home while they're there, because I need them to be focused on there to keep them safe, to keep them in the mission and, uh, to hear people dismiss military spouses or the person at home who's also, um, clearly, Uh, answering to a greater mission, it really troubled me. And so I did um, sort of have a rant on LinkedIn about, you know, this is a culture. We're in this community together and we're operating under these different kind of um, rules, regulations, and circumstances that kind of bind us together in this culture. And if you're outside of this culture, you may not understand what we're going through and to easily dismiss us or say that we're stealing their valor for the service that they're providing um, just isn't fair. We're not saying we're doing that mission. We're saying we're making that mission possible. Um, We're helping to make that mission possible. 
Mm-hmm. And that was all. And it and it did. It, it resonated with a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is that it's an acknowledgement that they're a part of what's going on as well, that their contribution is important. And yes. that um, and, and I think that's why it kind of resonated with me. And I immediately responded saying this is something that spouses of humanitarians or spouses of people who are contributing to a greater project or greater good need to hear mm. because a lot of them don't even realize that mm. this is their contribution or this is what they're in and that they're in a, a whole other set of, of way of life in a way and a whole other mm. set of way of, of, of life. And so that's why I responded immediately. I was like, oh, gosh, I need to speak to her. <laughs> <laughs> um and and get your perspective for these families um Mm -hmm. so you talk about the impact that it has on the family at home also Mm -hmm. I'm looking at you know what it's like for the partner who's away but Mm -hmm. what do you see primarily the audience of this podcast is a non-military audience but I, I I'd love to see kind of what kind of challenges you see as your partner goes goes away for, for work and for their mission. Yes. So, you know, every individual kind of goes through their own temporary grieving process of the system in which they're used to. So when my spouse is home, uh, we, I have an extra driver, I have an extra set of hands, I have a partner, I have somebody that I can talk to. Um, I have somebody to balance those things. And one of the things we, we often get compared to is single parents. Right. Well, single parents, they create a system and then they, they're in within the system where we are creating a system and then our system changes. And so we got to create a new system and then our system changes again. And then we got to create a new system. Uh, it's hard to have consistent childcare, consistent support, consistent things when you don't have a consistent schedule yourself because it's changing. It's dramatically changing and humanitarian efforts uh, are happening all the time. And it could be very similar to this just happened. Here's the need. We need to right. go. And that's very high op tempo, like military, right? There's there's a need, there's something happening. We got to go. And the family has to quickly adjust into that flip-flop yep. of, okay, now I'm solo parenting. Now I need to make sure that um, my schedule's adjusted for this. If I have a career, I now I don't have that same partner at home during these hours that I might have been working or shoveling in some work here. And we have to pivot a lot. And we look around. And if the people in our circle aren't going through that, then they don't understand. If they are going through that, well, then it's hard to really express how difficult it is because we're normalizing it because that's what's normal for us. Right. Right. And also, I suppose there's also the fact that you ca- you're you in a loving relationship, but when you need them, they're not necessarily there. And I think that is right. also something that maybe it's something to come to terms with. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it or something that needs to be taken into account anyway in the fact that, yes. um, you know, re- not necessarily relying the same way on each other as you might if, if you're together all the time in the same place. Mm-hmm. I think it it really takes into account to be intentional when you're together so that you can almost hear your spouse's support in your head mm. when they're gone. I know what my husband would say to mm. me if I was going through a situation. Mm. And I also know that I've become stronger because I can handle a lot of mm. things. And 
you only really become this super resilient person when you're thrust into a situation where you have to be resilient. You have to keep standing up. You have to keep moving forward with your mission at home because that's what we have, right? We have our mission at home that we have to continue on to. And so I know the word resilience gets overused in the military population and to the point where we're almost sick of hearing it. And at the same time, it's true. You don't realize how strong you are until you have no other Mm -hmm. choice to, but to be strong and get through Mm -hmm. it. And so when you want to reach out and complain to your partner or tell them, I know we we have a lot of spouses that will say, don't tell them anything. Let them be in their mission. Their head has to be right. Well, my husband would not like me not telling him anything, but I'm not going to call him from the side of the road when he's in another country because I have a flat tire. I'm going to call, you know, my triple A or whoever that I have that I'm using to come and I'm going to solve the problem. And then I might tell him later, oh yeah, I had a flat tire today, but I handled it. So I might be reporting to him what's going on at home. So he feels like he's part of it, but I'm not reaching out to him to solve the problem that I'm perfectly capable of solving at home. Right, right. Yeah, I remember someone uh, was telling me uh, a few months back, they had a, there was an incident and she was wondering whether she should tell her husband or not who was away. She's like, is it mm-hmm. something that I need to worry him about? And it is the kind of questions we ask each other. We ask ourselves, you know, oh, mm-hmm. should, you know, and I suppose it, the point is to ask them, you know, what do you want to keep updated on if there is a problem do you want to do you want to know straight away do you want me to it it can be helpful to be a bit upfront about that right what a great solution right have a conversation ahead of time about what our expectations are right knowing that there still might be some outliers right we never know exactly what we signed up for For sure however we can have some conversations around yeah for sure for sure And, and like I always say like you know illness and surprises and emergencies they don't wait for them to come home they they're gonna happen as as uh you know if they're home or if they're not but I think also what you were mentioning there about sort of you know I think I think there's resilience, but there's also not letting yourself drown, right? And one of my yes. early podcast guests was saying she spreads her net very wide and she she mm. asks quite a lot of people for help. Like I have the assumption, I'm gonna say I, I have the assumption that in the military there's a there's a community that people understand each other. Is is that right? Or is that is is it is it not quite right? There there is a community if the person makes an effort to be a member of that community. So you can marry somebody in the military and you can sort of stay outside of that world. Um, When I speak to um, other clinicians or social workers or things like that, and I talk to them about the military culture, I kind of refer them to Barry's acculturation model in a way, which is really formed speaking about people who are moving from one country to another country and how you can either go in and assimilate and really step into the culture. And now this culture becomes yours and you let go of the culture in which you came from. You can come in and you can separate yourself um, called separation from the new culture and just maintain your old culture. You can be marginalized where you can not fit into either, or you can really integrate. And that means you hold some truths from your previous culture and who you are and your identity, and you engage fully in this new culture as well. And so integration is the place we want to be. And marginalization where you don't fit in either is really the struggle point, the huge struggle point. Separation, you can imagine if a, a military spouse comes into the military community and says, well, I don't identify as a military spouse. And 
tries to like deny that and doesn't become friends, doesn't build on that community, it's going to be more difficult for them when the hard things come up. Mm. And this, I suppose, that could work for any family unit who's got a partner who's away because it mm-hmm. is a culture. It's a way of life, whether they're in the military or humanitarian or any other profession that means that they're gone. You can either integrate into it, right, and accept and say, okay, I'm part of this culture now. And of course, with the military is specific because it's serving your country, it's defending your country, it's there is a specific mission there. But I think I can see the parallel with any family that has a partner who's away and saying, okay, I can either deny this <laughs> and try mm-hmm. and retain my way of life from before, or <laughs> I can th- I can see it as a culture in itself and say, okay, well, this is what my life is now. And I'm going to learn the ropes and I'm going to learn how this works and what optimizes it and what's going to be the most helpful so that this works for us as a family. Think of the big organizations or big companies. If you work or if your spouse works for a big company, that's like one of the big ones, Google, right? Something Mm. that most people would know. Mm. Well, they always talk about what is the culture inside this company. Mm. And, and that's sort of smaller than, you know, the military, right? Mm -hmm. Or that's smaller than this big, huge humanitarian community. Mm -hmm. And so for us to finally say, yes, there's a culture here and address it as such is so powerful. Right, because then you can learn the codes, you can learn Mm -hmm. what works, you can learn the vocabulary that's used and you can, it is, it is like moving from one country to another. So what have you seen works best for military families? What what helps, helps them succeed? And your LinkedIn, it says you help military families succeed. So I'm curious what helps. I teach very specific skills. I teach dialectical behavior therapy skills um, amongst others. So dialectical behavior therapy is a treatment modality that was formed out of the University of Washington in Washington State by a woman named Marsha Linehan. And it's um, a mode of treatment that was used for highly emotionally dysregulated individuals, people who self-harm, highly suicidal. And it wasn't exactly created for that. But what Marsha did was say to a lot of therapists, who are the most difficult clients that you work with? And I'm going to show you why this model works for these difficult clients. So from there, creating all this evidence base that these treatment skills really are helpful and what they are is preventative skills. So dialectical means two opposing truths that both coexist and we're searching for the synthesis to make that happen. One big example is acceptance and change. So if you're really accepting something, it's hard to say, and I'm changing something, but that's where we get to. We want to remove the word, but, and we want to say, and so I can accept the things for the way they are. And I also can recognize that I need to change. I need to do better. I need to embrace something and making space for both to happen is where we see movement. It takes us out of that all or nothing, black or white thinking of these extremes And that's where movement happens. That's where thriving happens. We're not getting stuck in the willfulness of sitting on our hands and denying the changes that are happening. Um, We're being more willing of saying, how can I lean into this? Okay. So how can this help in in practice for like a family? So So in practice, it gives a common language, like you said. It teaches 
emotion regulation skills. It teaches interpersonal effectiveness skills. It teaches crisis survival skills and core mindfulness skills. And so I think that the more an individual has tools in their tool belt, considered skills or things that they can pull from, then the more successful they'll be along with the resources, right? Because there's resources out there. And if you're denying that you need support or you need help or that you're in this culture and you're kind of trying to remove yourself from it and pretend like it's not happening, you're not going to be reaching out for the resources. You're not going to be utilizing them. You're not even going to be aware of where they are. And then when the crisis hits, you're in emotion mind, which makes it hard for you to rationalize, hit the facts. You're in crisis. And now you don't even have a plan of where to start from, where if you've created a plan before a crisis and you have sort of that rehearsed go-to thing that you're going to do, that's the thing you're going to go to when crisis hits because it's what you Mm. know. And I would argue that living this life long-term without it is potentially untenable <laughs> because it's just if you don't even need a crisis there's, there's that there's the fact that sometimes it's untenable long term because it is highly kind of stressful in a way with all these changes with kind of it's um high intensity life mm-hmm. and also I would argue that with this kind of life you'd be living quite close to a stress limit or you'd be you know in a, a small crisis could could sink you which happened to me I I realized like I was doing I thought I was doing well I was doing all this I was you know you know I had emotional regulation I was drip feeding self-care all of that but I realized I was too close to my limit and and Mm. I was tired and I lived with sort of this long-term stressful life or Mm. living with stress and I wasn't bringing my my stress levels down enough and so one crisis after another crisis and then it just all the house folded because right it it wasn't tenable long term plus I think long term you know there's there's the there's the solo parenting there's this effect of coming and going plus you're trying to maintain a relationship plus you're trying to live your own dreams out and it's Mm -hmm. I I find it's a lot and I I it, it is. It's a lot, yeah, right? It's a lot. I um one of the programs that I created for the military is a program. It started as Herruck. Um, that's kind of my overall brand is Herruck. Um, but the workshop inside is called Unpacking Your Emotional Ruck. And for those of you who might not know what a ruck is, it's essentially a backpack, okay. a backpack that the military puts puts their gear in when they go on long, you know, ruck marches okay. and things like okay. that. It's it's what stores all your gear. Okay. And so I equate that to your emotional backpack. Okay. And so what you just described is your emotional backpack. I was doing well. I thought I was doing well, but things were piling in and it got a little too heavy. And so in my workshops, I will actually put a backpack on an individual and I have bricks and rocks of different sizes and I have them right on the rocks. And we talk, we start with long-term vulnerabilities. Like what are you bringing in from childhood beliefs, things that you're still struggling with that makes it harder for you to handle this lifestyle? Mm. What's, what are you still carrying? Right. Because that's what essentially this emotional backpack is, is things that we, we carry every day with us that are either long-term vulnerabilities or short-term vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And if we're not assessing the weight of our backpack constantly, then it's gonna, it's gonna overfill and get too heavy and boom, crisis hits. And we don't know what to Mm do. We also have people who get really they have a hard time reaching out to other people and they sort of carry that ruck as a badge of honor in how much they can do themselves. 
And I will say that if you can think of a, an athlete or somebody who just continues to go, 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 even on injury, then they're going to, at an earlier age, have different struggles than those who stop during that injury and rest and recover and, and things. And so that's kind of what I want to really say to people is take the time to rest, recover, not that's not self-care, right? Rest and recovery is just resting and recovery. That's not adding things to it. Right. That's just recovering from what you're dealing with. Wait, what? You're making the distinction here. I think that's a super important distinction. You're making a distinction between self-care, which is taking care of yourself yes. as you're, you know, moving forward in life and rest and recuperation. Yes. Yes. And I think that a lot of times people think rest and recuperation is self-care when it is necessary care because you've exhausted yourself and that's you're just at this point where this is all I have to give I'm at capacity so it's not necessarily after a big event it's just recognizing if you take back the analogy of running or whoa I've been running like for example silly I've done I did nine weeks of self of solo parenting over the summer and then I went straight mm -hmm. into the beginning of an academic year all the new activities and everything and I'm like check why didn't I recognize it? I've just done nine weeks on my own with the with the boys going here, right, left and center, doing different things. And then around, and it was, yes. yeah, it was a holiday that we did some lovely things, but I was exhausted when I got back. Exhausted. Yes. Recognizing when you've done these long stints and saying, oh, actually, I need to stop here. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And that's hard when you're in those long stints, because sometimes we throw ourselves into the survival mode. If I stop, I might, you know, I might be down for a couple of days and things aren't getting done. So I can't stop until I get to this point. Well, capacity hits, exhaustion hits, and it's going to take a, that rest and recovery to even get to the capacity that you can think about self-care and actually intentionally throwing effort into oh, self. That's huge. So, but how do you, what do you suggest to someone who just feels like I can't stop? I can't stop. There's kids. I have to get up, you know, I have to feed them. Mm -hmm. I have to, there is no one to help. That's the hard part is when there's no one to help. You should know if there's no one to help before you get into this situation, hopefully. And yet we don't, we don't have mm -hmm. those conversations. We don't do this um, uh, kind of hoping or coping ahead to create a plan before we're in the situation, because mm -hmm. oftentimes we just find ourselves there. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think if we look backwards, we go, okay, there was some signs and I probably could have, but I didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. And so if you're listening to this, there's your sign, think about it. But getting the plan in place of either structure, there's cheating the system, right? So I have like groceries delivered if I can. I have um, quick prepared meals when I have capacity. I have a, you know, um, these things that I, that I create in place that I feel like are cheating the system. Uh, and I make account accounting for that. You know, if, if we're doing cereal for dinner one night, I'm not going to judge myself because you know what we all ate and it wasn't, was it perfect? Was it inside these things? I I'm not going to judge myself for doing what I need to do to get through the moment. Um, but there's a lot of other things that you can, you can do. And if you're not reaching out and understanding the community and the resources available to you, then you feel like there's nobody there. When in yeah. reality, I know that if I put into a military spouse group right now, even a group that I just joined and I didn't know anybody. And I said, I'm struggling. This is what I need. I'm going to get 
somebody that will have a babysitter for their own kids to come watch my kids. I know that I'm going to get told you can have, here's a phone call you can call right now and they'll help. There's Here's something that could happen. Mm. There's a community out there that will literally have somebody else watch their children to come watch your children to do whatever you need to do. Mm. If you invest in that community, if mm. you show up for that community, they will show up for you. Yeah. Yeah. And offer yourself grace, right? Offer yes. yourself grace. Like- yes. I think it's this idea we think we need to do it all. And I was talking to a military dad who's actually now the stay at home dad. Mm-hmm. And he was saying like that a soldier would never be expected to be 24 hours, 24, 7, 365 days on call on duty. They mm-hmm. have, you know, they have, they have times of rest where they sleep and then they're on and then they're off duty and on duty. Right. And mm-hmm. um, so having this idea that I think sometimes we expect ourselves to just be on duty all the time and mm-hmm. never have moments of rest. And yes. um, so to think about what it like, sometimes I think I say, like, think outside the box, you know, like I remember I for like, I don't know how long we had off paper plates. I'm sorry, but it wasn't mm-hmm. elegant. But that meant I didn't have any dishes. So I could sit down and just, you know, plunk it in the trash and not have to kind of think I'm doing the dishes the things that don't necessarily mean childcare, but things that could be just cutting corners and making allowances and that it's okay right and I love it that we're reinforcing this now because I think a lot of people feel like oh like I've heard people say to me I I don't know what's wrong with me I'm not coping I'm not able to do it all and I'm like excuse me it's not you not you (laughs) nobody's supposed to do it all (laughs) at any time I will say um I'll tell people you know because one of the things we hear in the mental mental health community a lot is you need to find balance and I'm like balance is a myth that's kind of the unicorn right like there's no perfect balance there's I'm giving a lot of energy in this one area that I've neglected and and now I've neglected over here so I'm going to jump over here or I've at least given a little effort to a lot of these different domains but perfect balance I mean where is that I love that that doesn't exist that's so true that's so true so what about parenting together I mean is it how possible do you think it is I I've seen it both ways I've seen families where when the partner's gone the partner's gone Mm -hmm. and there's no necessarily no communication or very little communication um, but there's still the sense that they're parenting together or that, that somehow, somewhere, the 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 partner who's home will update the partner who's away. And they'll and the kids know that both parents are definitely on board, whatever it is. And then I've also seen it where like a parent will call like every day or every other day and get the lowdown on what's going on in, at home or whatever. I don't know what, what, what do you say to that? I am a big supporter of families doing what works for them. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said earlier, having those communicate, that communication, like, what are your, what are your needs? Mm-hmm. How can I help um, meet those needs while you're away? And mm-hmm. the other spouse, how can I help meet those needs for you while I'm away? What do you need from me? And mm-hmm. let's talk about what's possible and what's just not probable. It's that mm-hmm. it's not easy for me to make this happen. But I think if everybody's assuming a positive intent with each other and they're doing the best they can with the plans they've created mm-hmm. that works for their their family, then I think that's a benefit. But we also got to remember what are the kids' needs. Mm-hmm. And so 
if um, if it works where one spouse who's away is, hey, I'm away, I'm away, send me an email, keep me keep me posted, and and that's fine. Well, I think the kids might say that is not working for me because I need a hello, I need a good night, or I need at least a video message every now and then so I can see your face, or I need you to you know read into an audio book before you leave so I can hear that book at night before I go to bed. There's a lot of creative ways to stay connected. And so I think find those creative ways that works for your family to stay connected that keeps you in um, in sort of that authority parenting role because it's hard when you come home and the kids don't respect the partner who's gone and they look at the partner who's home like, they just told me to do this. Are you telling me to do this? Because I see that in military families a lot too. Mm-hmm. And you know, that role and responsibility really falls on the adults to make sure that both are equally respected or, mm-hmm. you know, earning the respect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the kids mm-hmm. do follow the pattern and the culture of that family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you seen like other things, like what kind of other creative ways have you seen for like emotional presence, presence of the parent who's away? Well, we're very fortunate because we do have, you know, like USOs and things like that who've been on other bases. And and so they will provide books that you can have at home and the service member can have. And so the child can be looking at a book at home and the service member can be reading a book to them. There are the um, little uh, dolls. They're called like soldier dolls or whatever that they actually yeah. put a picture of the family member on. You can tell a story. My, um, my daughters are 11 nine and six now. But when my oldest was about three, my husband had gone to Afghanistan uh, a couple of times, you know, um, and so she had had that separation of dad left to work, but then just didn't come home for a really long time. And so when he did return home and he would leave in the morning, our garage door would open and she could hear the garage door, but it would peak her to wake up. And she would run down the stairs, just screaming and crying at the door. And it was really painful. And I had another baby and I'm like, okay, you're waking the baby up. You're waking me up. I wanted to sleep. This is so important. And yet you're emotionally in turmoil. Mm. And so I'm messaging or calling my husband. You need to, you know, come back and say goodbye, or at least get on the phone to say goodbye. And we created a plan with one of those dolls with, with his picture that she would give it to him at night. Um, and he would leave it next to her in the morning before he left. And so if she heard the garage door open and she saw her pillow. She knew he said goodbye and that he was oh, coming home that night. And oh, so that, that's nice. So that cured it. That solved it. She would see her pillow. Now, mind you, if he ever forgot, <laughs> you know, but but after a, a pattern of, of not forgetting for a time, it went away and it was a lot easier. And I, yeah. I was like so grateful because I was getting my sleep and I wasn't, you know, my response was angry, right? Like, can you just say goodbye? Can you just do this small thing um, so that we're not dealing with this crisis at home? Yeah. Um, but in reality, it was because I was exhausted. I was tired. Like my emotional rock, <laughs> my emotional backpack was full. And so my tolerance was shorter. Yeah. 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 And it's important to sort of consider what else is going around, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What else Mm -hmm. is going on? So what would you say to uh, a spouse of, say, a humanitarian who's going to a dangerous place? Do you prepare the kids? Do you talk about it with the kids? Do you, how do you manage it emotionally? 
Um, well, I definitely always say like, what's age appropriate, right? What's age appropriate for the children? And are you working with a professional or a community to kind of bounce ideas off of? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Um, when we talked about, you know, dialectical, um, those Mm -hmm. two opposing truths that both coexist, what I've seen is there are the people who turn off all news and want zero information. Yeah. And the other extreme of people who like, I'm all inundated with news and doom scrolling everything to see all the things and I'm living in emotional turmoil. So mm-hmm. total avoidance, total turmoil on these two mm-hmm. ends of the spectrum. And so I think, how do I have just enough information that I need um, mm-hmm. that I can still maintain thriving during the situation? Mm-hmm. Understanding that if if something happens, you will be notified in the time that you need to be notified. Like the information will come to you. There's a lot of things that are just, we have to radically accept that are out of our control. We have to full radically accept with all sense of our being that we are not in control of a situation. And so finding out that something happens in another country where we're not physically located, that maybe our spouse is, we have to trust that our spouse is doing everything they possibly can to stay safe. They're doing everything that they've trained, that they're educated. And we have to really lean back on um, the skills and education that our spouse has and trust them to do what they know to do um, in the best case scenario that they can for themselves and protect ourselves at home. And and so if if you have a a preteen or a teenager that is going to be stumbling across things on the internet or their friends are going to be talking, I think it helps to prepare them and have these conversations to say, we have, you know, information straight from the source, from your parents. And so I I want you to know that if you hear something or you see something and you have questions about that, I want you to come to me because the hardest thing for you to do is create stories or hear things that aren't facts and run on emotional, run down an emotional path of something that's not even factual. Don't do that to yourself. Come to us, come to me and let us have that conversation. Um, and for the And for the young ones, you know, um, I, I will say, you know, I, I don't give them the details. I don't put unnecessary fear or scare on them that they're incapable of carrying. Mm. Yeah, they know that they're with you, right? They're in a stable environment. And um, the thing is, I mean, my husband was in Kabul for two years and we stayed in Switzerland. And I people asked me how I did it. And I was like, well, how much do we control anyway? You know, right. how much do we control anyway? in our right. in our in our in our life uh and i think again trusting that the other person is is trained that they're doing everything that they to be safe that there's a whole team mm. who's who's trained to stay safe and um right. and i went too much in media and then i was like whoa whoa i need to back <laughs> off <laughs> and just kind of have a little bit and and it was interesting because my husband said oh you know at one point he was like wait it sounds like you're not interested and like actually I am interested mm-hmm. I'm just protecting myself mm-hmm. um from just too much information I just can't handle it right now I can't handle some of the things that's going on there mm-hmm. because it's sad and it's difficult and knowing it's... that you're there is um is something that that he felt he needed to do and it was part of what he, he his vocation mm. but I'm like oh there's a point where you you know it's it's a lot <clears throat> it's again coming back to the fact that it's um it's a lot but that is part of who they are mm-hmm. right it's part of what they right. want to do right 
Right. And it's unfair to try and compare loves for your passion, for your purpose, and for those that you care about at home. It's it's a different, it's a different pot. It's coming from a different pot in the heart. And so um, let's try not to compare. And I think, I think um, the sort of situation that you just described, I think being a special operations spouse means that my husband is on a team of 12 people and they go do missions together. Sounds very similar, right? To a team Mm. um, going in to do a mission together in a humanitarian Mm -hmm. effort. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think that we do pretty well is that even in our national guard families who might not be stationed at the same place, they're spread throughout the state Mm -hmm. is that they make an effort for those team members, families to know one another. And they do, even if it's a virtual activity. And so even if you aren't, you know, having somebody living next door to you, whose spouse is with your spouse Mm -hmm. in this other country, serving this greater mission, you have a connection to the other spouses on that specific mission Mm. that you can bounce things, ideas off of, you can vent to, you can um, share information with if you need to, or you can at least just validate each other, support one another and say, it is hard Mm. Um, or distract each other. And and, and I think that's a good thing too. And I'm not sure if you all have that um, or if you're sort of, we are a community of of people whose spouses do these efforts, but we don't, you know, bring it down to that, that level of in these individual teams also. Mm. Well, and it's definitely what I'm raising awareness of that mm. there are, you know, that the families of humanitarians, that these organize huge organizations um, that send staff to non-family duty stations uh, where the staff maybe doesn't come back for a year uh these are also communities of families mm-hmm. and um what what do the organize how can these organizations support uh these families who are contributing to the effort and, by and they have a responsibility to do that because their mission will not succeed if the family mission at home is not succeeding. Yeah. Trust me, they will lose people. Things yeah. will happen because families are important yeah. and they're making that mission possible. And so the more that those organizations can, um, before a big mission, right, get the families together or even virtually or something, mm. sending mm. out sending out some sort of project for everybody to do at home at the same mm. time and share those mm. projects or or whatever they can do. Um, it's really going to bring communities together. And that's the only way that we're going to succeed through this life, right? Is we're not living on islands alone. We're not meant to, we're meant to do it in communities. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's also a lot of spouses of business people, high level sports people. Um, As I started looking into this, I realized there are tons of professions. Um, There's the nuclear industry, there's there's just absolutely tons of professions that take, you know, that that mean a lot of travel, and um, a lot of these families, like our, someone I spoke to recently, she said she's been living this life for eleven years and has never met another family who lives like this. Wow! Yeah. So the need is so there. That's so important. Yeah, and because more, how lonely is that? Exactly, and more and more families are actually choosing this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily for a greater cause potentially or whatever, but but for the well, for the cause of their family. So it's for children's education 
of uh, dual careers so that both can can maintain a career and it means of being closer to elderly parents if you're from different mm-hmm. countries and so it means that one is in one country the other one is in the other country and they come back and to visit each other from time to time it's a whole other ball game a whole mm-hmm. other ball game to maintain a, a family unit and parent mm. together at a distance and then have this coming in and coming out of the, the partner who's away, who's not with the children. There's all sorts of different scenarios. There's also, you know, one parent with one child, parent with the other child. And so there's there's all sorts of scenarios. But it is, it's lonely if you don't have a community mm. and if you don't even realize that there are other families who choose this too. And then family, you know, extended family saying, you know, you're, you're crazy to live like this. You're mm. like, well, actually, it's okay. There are lots of families who do it. It's just hard. Well, and, and I think it's important to acknowledge it. And, you know, uh, one of the things that um, military families really lean on to is this calling and this patriotism. Mm-hmm. Now, you patriotism is really kind of identified as really love for your country. Mm-hmm. The humanitarians are like love for the world. And that's even, yeah. you know, ha- like that's just even this bigger lens of, yeah. of love for this world and, and mm-hmm. for humans and, and this greater good. And I think mm-hmm. that. Um, really recognizing that beauty inside people who are serving that mission mm. is powerful mm. and it's respectable. And um, while that might seem crazy to somebody else, there's no other way. There's just no other way for some families. It just makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Rochelle. Thank you so much for sharing from your own experience, from what you've been seeing, from your um, expertise as well. Um, I'm going to pounce this on you. I normally ask my guests, um, and I forgot to add it at the end of the pre-questions, um, a, a life resource that has helped you, something that it doesn't have to be about parenting or anything, just something in general that's really mm. impacted you. Oh, good question. You know, um, having a good mentor, having somebody that's lived through the experience before me and sitting at their feet, listening, humbly, humbling myself to hear their stories and, um, and being okay with preparing myself that I may not have the same experience but that they too have gone through it and that I'm not alone and that others are have experienced what I've experienced has made all the difference. And so humbling yourself to really listen to somebody else. And, um, and it's not a sign of weakness to say, I'm going to learn from somebody who's different than me or who may be younger than me, or maybe something else um, because of their experience, I think is, has been really powerful to me. Just the resources is another individual. Wow. So you you would go up to someone and say, can I learn from you? Can I hear more of your story? Yes. Yeah. Not I can imagine. Not waiting for yes. them to come to you, right? It's going no. and asking them. Going yeah. and asking. And and yeah. I've never seen anybody that's not um, complimented by that. Mm-hmm. And we, we build um, strength inside ourselves when we contribute. And mm. so if we can contribute to another person, somebody who's come up and said, can I just listen to, can I just ask you some questions or, or hear your story? I mean, that's powerful. Fantastic. Oh my word. Wow. Okay. How can people reach you? You're not doing sessions at the moment, right? 
I have my private practice, but again, I'm licensed in Washington state. So my clients have to be present in Washington state. I am doing workshops. So my website is under construction. My her at herup.com is under construction, but come back in January and see that. Um, but right now, the best way to reach me is just on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn, R-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-F-U-T-C-H on LinkedIn. Connect yeah. with me. And shoot me a message. Um, Let's follow each other's journey and support each other. Fantastic. Super. It's been brilliant talking to you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. I've learned a lot as well. So I appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.